Well, it's so good to be together. We've had so many ways of uh, celebrating already this morning and seeing God's goodness and, and all the gifts of Christmas. The greatest gift of Christmas is Jesus, and that's really going to be our focus over the next few weeks. And uh, I don't know what you guys do for Christmas with your family. Sometimes families do some weird things at Christmas. I don't know about you guys. Any of you do the elf on the shelf? Anyone want to be bold? That's us. Any elf? A few, just a few. That's a little creepy to me, okay? The idea... <laughs> of a little elf moving around at night, hiding out in different places in the house. You know, we, we do different things. Some of us get in the uh, car and go look at Christmas lights with uh, hot chocolate. Uh, some of us go caroling in our neighborhood to sing uh, around the neighborhood. In our family, we play a game called Find Jesus. And we have this little nativity set that a friend of ours in Denver crocheted. And uh, this is Jesus in the little nativity set, little bundle of joy. And uh, so once the nativity set is out, we start to hide Jesus around the house. And if you find this little nubbin, uh, you get a dollar if you find Jesus. So just know, if you come to our house during the Christmas season and you see this weird little yarn ball uh, on top of a mirror or on a bookcase or behind a plant, pick it up and we owe you a buck. That's how it works in our house. That's one of the games we play at Christmas. The idea that Jesus became a baby, though, if you think about that, it's pretty... Uh, remarkable. It's incredible to think about the one who created all that we see, all that we explore and research and try to understand in this physical world. Uh, Last week, we talked about how Jesus is the Word of God and that through him, everything has been created that we see. And so this one who made everything that we see uh, came to what he created, came to earth. The fact that Jesus put on flesh, almost like putting on a coat, and, and limited himself to time and space, entered into our physical reality, our physical existence. It's mind-blowing that he didn't arrive, you know, from the sky. He didn't ride a cloud down into Jerusalem, that he chose to grow inside of Mary, to be born and to grow up, uh, just like we have, you, you and I, we've been born and we have grown up, some of us more than others, but that's what Jesus chose to do. He created everything, and yet he said, this is how I'm going to enter into my world that I created. What would that have been like to see Jesus as a little baby, you know, crawling around, crying, filling his um, diaper, whatever they called him back then. I don't know what they used back in the first century. But, but imagine that. I mean, that's God in flesh, and that's how he chose to enter our world. Think about teenage Jesus, his voice cracking, you know, that very first armpit hair coming out, that, that odor that we all began to create before we understood what deodorant was. You know, that's uh, Jesus entered into that reality as well. 20-year-old Jesus working with his dad in the wood shop, you know, building tables and doors and pulling out um, uh, wood from his fingers that he got jammed in there and, and sitting uh, on Saturdays in the synagogue listening to teaching, listening to the Old Testament being read. Think about 30-year-old Jesus, the one we read about in the New Testament, who became a rabbi, who went around teaching and preaching and healing and then giving his life for us that we might have life. The night before Jesus died on the cross, we can read these words about him in John 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew that he had all power and authority in this world. So he got up from the table and he forced everyone to surrender to him. No, no, that's not what he did, right? 
He got up from the table and he ended world poverty and he created the first electric car. No, that's not what he did. Jesus knew he had all power, so he got up from the table and decided to make Israel great again. No, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus got up from the table and he served his closest friends. He got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. We all have a certain amount of power in our lives, a certain amount of influence that we can wield in different spheres around us, maybe in a family or at work or in your neighborhood, just different places where we have a certain amount of ability to change things, to, to change the story, to manipulate things, to make things go our way. We all have these places. Think about the areas of your life where you have power. Where, where, where do you have that kind of ability? For me, I think about when I get behind the wheel of a car. You know, you might not know this by looking at me, but when I drive around Kansas City, I'm in a muscle car. I'm in, uh, I'm in a light blue town and country minivan. That's, that's what I drive around Kansas City. And something happens when I get behind the wheel of that car. Suddenly, I'm the best driver out on the roads. And uh, my job, my authority, my power is to help everyone else learn how to drive when it comes to the roads of Kansas City. So if you're in the wrong lane, I'll help you get in the right lane. If you're driving too fast, I'll help you slow down. If you're not driving fast enough, I'll get you moving, you know? And if you don't know how to use that blinker, I'll help you learn how to use that blinker. If something happens when I get in that position of, of power, there's a certain amount of power that comes when you get behind a car's steering wheel. That's a, a simple area of my life where I could share with you guys. There's other places in my life where I have ability to manipulate and change things. There's places where I, what I say, what I write, what I post actually has influence and can either hurt or help others around me. There's places where we have power. And I'm sure there's areas in my life where I have power that I'm not even aware that I'm misusing it or hurting someone in a way I'm not trying to, but I'm not, you know, we need to grow in this ability to understand where do we have influence and a voice and power to use. And our power, my power, your power is really nothing compared to Jesus's power. Remember, he created everything that we see, fully aware of his power and his position in this world. He got up from the table and he took on the posture of a servant. He lowered himself. He did something that nobody else would do. Even Jewish slaves wouldn't do what Jesus did. He lowers himself and he washed his followers' feet. No rabbi would do this. No religious leader would embarrass himself this way. No self-reliant person would take this posture in front of her employees. But Jesus, the Son of God, rescuer of all humanity, the one with all the power, this is what he does. And he does it to give us an example to follow. He says, I'm doing this so that you might see the way you're supposed to live. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a Christian, you must learn to love like Jesus. And the best gift of Christmas is Jesus, and Jesus is a servant. If you want to be like Jesus, then you will be a servant too. You understand and grow in your ability to serve others. Jesus came to save and to serve, and his saving work primarily takes place in how he served others, how he served us, how he served each one of us by giving his life to be a bridge between our creator God and our broken humanity. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says this, the son of man did not come to be served. And he was talking about himself when he said son of man. So Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. At that dinner with his friends, he showed them what that looks like when he got up from the table. I want to look at that whole story with you this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to John 13. If you open up your Bible app on your phone, John 13, verse 3, 
We're going to look at this story, this interaction with his disciples around the table. Just a few weeks before this, Jesus had brought a dead friend back to life. His friend Lazarus had died, been dead for four days, and Jesus showed up and brought him back to life. Can you imagine that happening? It caused many people to believe something about Jesus that they hadn't before, that there was something different about him, that he was the one chosen by God. He was the, the Messiah, the one who was coming to set things right. And so just a few days before this story, Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey and and there was a a parade, there was a celebration and people were crying out, the king has come, the king of the Jews, and they were expecting Jesus to use his power to free them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were so excited that the one was coming that was going to allow Israel to be a superpower again in that ancient world. And just a few days later, Jesus sat at this table with his friends and look at verse 3 of chapter 13. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. You get a taste here of how odd this was, how different this was that Jesus was washing their feet. He's, even Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing. This is strange to you. This looks weird, but you'll understand eventually. But Peter's like, this is not what you're supposed to do. This is not what a rabbi does. This is not what the leader of our little group here, this is not how you're supposed to act. You're the king. What are you doing? And Peter is so offended by this. He says, no, you're never going to wash my feet, Jesus. This is wrong. What you're doing is wrong, and you need to stop. That's, that's kind of what's behind Peter's language here. And Jesus answers him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's often clean. He's saying like, okay, Peter, settle down a little bit, all right? Like Peter is, I love Peter. His heart is always in the right spot, but often he'll say something before he thinks about it or he'll act and then reflect on it later. So he goes, don't wash me at all. Okay, now wash everything. And Jesus is like, all right, just settle down, okay? All I need to do is wash your feet right now. He says, you are clean, though Not every one of you. In verse 11, for Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There's a couple of things I want to focus on in this passage. What Jesus did for his disciples, and then what he asked of them. And in that way, we can understand, what does he say to us today? What has he done for us? And then what is he asking of us today? It says, Jesus washed their feet. Has anyone ever washed your feet? Anyone ever given you a good foot washing? Uh, maybe if you've had a, a pedicure, right? Is that what that's called when they mess with your toes? I don't want anybody touching my feet, so I've never had one of those. But uh, maybe even a better question is, have you ever washed your own feet? Right? I mean, when I'm in the shower, I wash about my knees, and then I just trust that the water will do the rest of the, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll just go down the rest of the way, and 
I don't often like kick a foot up and like scrub on my feet. It's like dangerous. I'm going to fall over if I do that. But, you know, how often do you actually wash your own feet? We're not hobbits, you know, we're not walking around barefoot around Kansas City. Most of the time we have our feet covered. There are some times when I'm mowing the lawn and the dust is really bad and it goes through the socks and it goes, you know, through the shoes and the socks and I'll have to wash my feet. But in Jesus' day, people walked around on those dusty roads, those muddy roads, and sandaled feet. They didn't have socks most of the time or at all, and so their feet got the full brunt of the roads in Israel. And a good host would uh, have people over, and they would have a bowl of water by the door, by the entrance, uh, where people could wash their feet off. And if it was a real formal occasion, if it was an important banquet or wedding feast or festival, uh, and someone was wealthy enough, they would have a station set up, and they would actually pay someone to be there to wash people's feet. And no self-respecting Jewish person would do that, not even servants in the Jewish culture. So they would have to find someone outside their community, a Gentile, who would come and wash the feet of those who came in. And here we are at this Passover dinner, and, and no one set up the foot washing station. And Matthew and Mark and Judas, and they're all sitting around the table there. They, they know something's off. They can feel the dirt on their feet, you know, they're kind of rubbing off the mud as they're trying to enjoy their dinner. They know something's happened, but, but nobody is doing anything about it. No one's getting up, no one's taking action, no one was serving, so Jesus did. In fact, the disciples would argue about who was the greatest in their group, you know, who gets the, the top seats. They weren't arguing about who gets to wash feet. They were arguing about the other end of the spectrum. So Jesus got up and he took off his outer garment he wrapped a towel around his waist, he grabbed a bowl, filled it with water, began to wash their feet, and that towel would have gone around his waist and up over his shoulders so that as he was bent over in front of them, he could dry their feet after he washed them. And that towel actually has become symbolic for many churches, uh, for pastors and church leaders about the ways that we're called to serve one another. In fact, when, I was, uh, when my calling was affirmed by our denomination and I was ordained, in the, uh, the church, they gave me this, this thing. It's called a stole. And they put it over my shoulders, and uh, they asked me to wear it on that, that celebration. And this is probably the first time you've seen it on me. It will be the last time you probably see it on me. I don't wear it very often, but this stole is an example of that towel that Jesus wore. It's, it, it's connected directly to that image, the idea that Jesus would take this and, and dry the feet of his disciples after he washed them and this one's obviously artistic. It's got symbols on it and things like that. But this stole reminds me, reminds other leaders, church leaders and pastors, that the places we've been asked to fill in authority and in leadership in a church, that it should look like a servant. And we're called to serve our communities. And, and that's really what we're all called to. You could all have one of these and be reminded that there's a towel that you should be wearing to care for those around you, to serve others. Jesus untied their sandals and took their shoes off and began to wash their feet, putting them in the water, drying them off. And he said, unless you allow me to do this, you have no part with me. He, he was kind of meeting a real need they had with their dirty feet, but he was also giving them an example that they not only needed their feet cleaned, they needed their hearts cleaned. They needed a new kind of life. They needed forgiveness and a saving work in them because of the rebellion of their hearts, because of the selfishness and the brokenness in their own lives. He was showing that they had this need to release their selfish ways, their prideful ways, and anything that they did that didn't honor who they were created to be by God. And that's the example for us as well. Years later, John, who wrote this story down, he would write other letters to the early church. And in his first letter, he wrote these words, If we say we have no sin, 
we are fooling ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, Jesus will forgive our sins, because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrong things we have done. That, that cleansing, that's what Jesus was symbolizing when he washed his followers' feet. I'm cleaning your feet, but I also am going to clean your life, your heart, your soul. Jesus was symbolizing that. My guess is that they maybe realized they needed their feet clean, but probably not all of them realized that they needed something else to happen. They may not have all realized that they needed their, their hearts transformed. That might be part of why Jesus said no. I mean, why Peter said, no, you will not wash my feet. Peter didn't understand all that Jesus was doing for him. And sometimes we say no as well. You think about the ways we say no to Jesus when he wants to serve us, when he wants to transform us. Sometimes we say no and we think about, well, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm not, I'm not all that bad. Look at all these good things I'm doing. If you looked at the scales, right, there's more on the, on the good side than the bad side. We, we compare ourselves to others. And you're always going to be able to find someone else that's not doing as good as you're doing. You're always going to be able to find someone and you're going to be able to say, look, at, I'm, at least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not that bad. And that, those prideful words, those are some of the ways that we say no to Jesus. We also say no when we don't open the gift that he's given us. We talk about him being the best gift of Christmas. Well, forgiveness is a gift we're given, but it's not really a gift until we open it, until we allow it into our lives, until we say, yeah, I need that gift. I need something to happen inside me. I need transformation. A lot of us, we say, well, that's a nice gift. I really like that gift. That's an important gift. I believe in that gift but we've never actually opened it for ourselves. How are you saying no to Jesus in your life today? Just, just think about that for a moment. How can you change that no to a yes? How can you open that gift today? Earlier, earlier this morning, we had communion together, and one of the things we do when we receive communion is we take time to confess our sin and as we were doing that, we used that word repentance, which means that you turn around and you, you head in a different direction. And it's, it's not easy to do that. We are forgiven by Christ, and it's as simple as receiving that gift. But then what we're called to, the kind of life we're called to live, it's not always easy to live that way. It's a continual work that God is doing in us. And sometimes we have to create new habits, and new ways of thinking about people, new instincts. We have to kind of reprogram some of those things. And the Spirit of God is always working on us, helping that happen. But what, some of the, what, what are some of the ways you can turn that no into a yes? I think about, if I go back to my driving idea, how can I drive differently? Well, we've talked about this before, I think, but like I could get behind the slowest driver on the highway, just put myself behind them and say, okay, I'm going to stay here, you know. That, that would be difficult. I could, uh, you know, when, when you, they close down one of the lanes of traffic, you ever been on a two-lane street and up, up ahead the right lane is closed, so there's this long line in the left lane and you're waiting, and then you see that guy coming up on the closed lane, just kind of sneaking his way up, right? And you're like, you're not coming up here. You should have gotten in back in the back of the line, you know? <laughs> maybe that's one of the ways God can help stretch me and help me serve others. You know, maybe I just say, come on in. Come on, right in front of me. Just let them, maybe that's what suffering for Jesus is all about, letting <laughs> drivers cut in front of you. I don't think that's what it's about, but, um, you know, this is what it, it takes, transformation. It takes God and the Spirit of God working at us, and we have to allow him to do that work. It's hard work but it's part of growing. After Jesus washed their feet, he said, I've set you an example that you should do what I have done for you. So Jesus meets our needs and then he calls us to action. He invites us to join him in serving others, of giving ourselves 
for others, to pick up a towel and pray, pay the price that love demands. So what towel is Jesus inviting you to pick up today? What is the rhythm and the, the cadence of your life that he wants you to do something new and pick up a towel and serve someone? What's the towel that your family needs? What's the towel that your neighbor needs or your coworker or your friend at school? How is Jesus inviting you to serve others, to lower yourself as he did? In the first century church, they had a song that reminded them of, of this idea of the towel. It's, it's found in Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi. Philippians 2, this is what he wrote. It became a song in the early church. In his very nature, Jesus was God, but he did not think about being equal with God as something that he should hold on to. Instead, he, Jesus made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was complete, made in human form. He appeared as a man. He came down to the lowest level. He obeyed God completely, even though it led to his death. Here is Jesus again, the creator of all things, the one who has all the power, and he lowers himself. He made himself nothing. When's the last time you made yourself nothing? And, and I don't mean the nothing that says, you know what, I'm no good, I don't matter, I'm worthless. Not that kind of nothing. Not the nothing that says other people can beat me up and abuse me and use me. Not that kind of nothing. But the choice to say, I'm going to live for someone else's good. I'm not going to have it my way today. I'm going to say, how can I lower myself and allow someone else to shine, to lift someone else up? It doesn't mean you disregard the mission that Jesus has called you out on or the gifts that God has put in you, the good things he's placed in you. You believe in all of that and you choose to serve. Again, Jesus in this passage, he says, it says he knew who he was. He says, I'm, I'm Lord and teacher. You call me your teacher. You call me your Lord. Think about that word Lord. You know, I, I have authority over you. You say to me, you have authority over me. And, I, and he says, that's good. That's right. I do. And then he gets up and he washes their feet and sets it as a different example. And Jesus didn't pick up that towel because of the self-esteem benefits to volunteering. You know, he didn't do it to improve his career mobility or to his image on social media. Jesus did it because he loved those around him. He served and gave us an example. And Peter struggled to understand what was happening in that moment, but later on in Peter's letter to the early church, he wrote these words. He said, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Clothe yourself with humility. I think Peter was thinking about that towel wrapped around Jesus that Jesus put on. Those, that's the clothing that Jesus wore. What's the towel that Jesus is inviting you to pick up? Over the last month, we've talked about how you use your time, how you use your energy, how you use your finances for the good of God's kingdom to expand what God is doing in our neighborhood and in our community and around the world. What is, what is God inviting you to pick up this morning? What's the towel? Maybe it's giving some time to serve others, to invest some time in the lives of others around you, Maybe it's bringing your expertise to the challenges of others are facing in your neighborhood. Maybe the towel is offering your finances so that the work of God's kingdom can expand and continue to move forward. Let's think about that for a minute. What's the towel that you know Jesus is inviting you to pick up? Can you think about that? What is that? Can you hold on to it for a moment? I think one of the best things we have going for us as a church community are, is you, the people call Hillcrest their church. This church is filled with people that want to see God doing something new, that are motivated to see God making a difference in their neighborhood, to see people's lives come to Jesus through the influence of this church. It's so exciting 
that God is writing a new story in us, and we get to be part of that story. We get to, to have a paragraph, to have a chapter, to be involved in what God is doing here. I want you to hear from a couple of the leaders at our church and, and what they're excited about here at Hillcrest. Uh, Mindy and, and Kyle sat down a few weeks ago, and we shot a video of them just sharing about what they're excited about and why they invest here at Hillcrest. And so I'd like you to watch this video with me. I'm Kyle Stagnito, and I serve on the board. I'm Mindy Vaughn, and I also serve on the board. I'm really excited about everything happening in our student and children's ministries. Jason came on this summer, and I already feel the momentum that he's building with my kids and other kids in terms of giving them a place to connect and belong and serve and um, hopefully connect to God and our church family. And we're, we just hired a new children's ministry director, and I think she's going to bring an energy and a joy to parents and kids. Um, I just can't wait. I also see both of them, as our new staff people, as full of stories of grace in their life as children and students that kind of brings an authenticity to their faith to our kids and students. So very excited about that. I'm really excited about small groups and property improvements. Um, 175 folks have been connected in small groups uh, during this fall. And um, these little communities have been helping people grow closer to Jesus and closer to each other. And um, <clears throat> as well as uh, supporting each other as they walk through the storms of life. And um, I just think that's awesome. Um, as far as property goes, we made um, improvements to the exterior by repairing and, and repainting, um, renovating the bathrooms, uh, and the student center was repainted, uh, almost finished. And uh, the other big project that we have in the works is the parking lot repair, uh, which will com be completed in April. Financially giving is important to, to me, um, has become more important to me uh, over the years. It, I, think, I think it originated in a place of a should, maybe, when we were first married. I thought it was a good thing to do. Um, my husband was much more generous than me. Okay, that muscle was uh, easier for him to use than, than me. And I learned from him, and I saw the joy that, that it brings in our life. I think it's given us a chance to connect to the unique ways that that God's drawing us into the things he's doing. And so now I look forward to new opportunities to to engage with financial giving because sometimes it it really brings a new um, a new closeness with God or a new experience of what he's doing in the world into our family. Well, my wife and I believe that we're called to give uh, 10% of our income to, uh, to further God's purposes in the Kansas City area and the world as a whole. And, um, you know, everything that we have, God owns it all. And um, I think we're just, we're called to um, be, have a, 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 an openness of our hands to be able to allow God to um, to bless others through us and our giving.
So good to be uh, together this morning. I'm so glad you're here. I want to invite our prayer volunteers to come up at this time after every service. There's volunteers up front to encourage you and pray with you and lift you up. And as you think about opening that best gift of Christmas, that forgiveness that Jesus offers you, if you're not sure how to open up that gift, uh, come on up and let us pray with you and encourage you in that. I just want to encourage you to stop by the library and say hi to Kim. Welcome her to our church. There's donuts down there. That'll get me down there. Uh, there's a chance to take a picture uh, and put an ornament together so that she can learn your name. We'd love for families to do that, to, to grab a picture with, uh, so Kim can start to get to know us. Uh, and as you go this morning, just remember that, that Christ came to serve you, that he gave his life for you. And now he invites you to serve others. So go as his servants into this world, sharing his light in dark places, being, bringing hope and joy and peace. Go with God. We'll see you next Sunday.